This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. We'll go to Children's Church. First John chapter 5 we're getting towards the end a few more weeks left of this letter and we'll, we'll continue with second and third John as well you know when we lived overseas we used to ask people who they thought Jesus was sometimes they would associate him with the church in some way most people wouldn't know very few people would ever get that answer right but one answer that I would get from time to time it always surprised me they would say well Jesus was an American that lived a long time ago wasn't he that was the one that was always so mind-boggling but you know what we believe about Jesus is one of the tests believers must pass right in order to have assurance of their salvation and we've been talking about one of those that theological test but in today's text rather than focusing on the test of our faith this passage gives testimony to the object of our faith and our first point comes from the text verses 6 through 8 God gives us three trustworthy witnesses to his son how do we come to have an assured confidence in the person of Christ and, and in who he is if I ask you who Jesus of Nazareth was, and you tell me that Jesus was the second person, or is the second person of the Trinity, that he took on flesh in the incarnation to live a sinless life, so that when he died on the cross, he died to be a, a perfect sacrifice for sinners who would believe on him. He died, he was buried on the third day. He, he rose not only to justify sinners, but also to vindicate who he was. And he ascended into heaven, but before he did, he told his disciples that one day he'll come back, not only to gather his church to himself, but also to judge the rebellious. If you said all of that, I would say, well, that's a pretty good answer. You're right, I believe. And we've learned from the New Testament that what God commands of all people is that they repent and believe. We talked about that in small group, you know, repentance and faith. Repentance and belief, it's, it's like two sides of a, a quarter. You have the heads and tails, but it's two sides of one coin. They always go together. You can't separate those. 
But that's what Jesus commands people to do. Repent and believe in the Son. But John tells us that God doesn't require us to have blind faith, right? We don't just believe something out of nowhere. In his kindness, he has given us testimony as to who Jesus was. And in the passage today, John's going to point out a three-part testimony to the person of Christ. And think about Jewish thought. In Jewish thought, you didn't bring an accusation against someone unless you had more than one witness. If you had two or three, you could do that. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. You have, you know, one person says one thing, another person says another. You're just kind of going back and forth. He said, she said, right? Also in Matthew 18, dealing with church discipline, or when those who have a sin problem, you've gone to them and they don't repent. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of, again, two or three witnesses. And in First Timothy chapter 5, verse 19, we see a charge against an elder. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. We see that time and time again, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. That's Jewish thought. So John here brings forth these three witnesses that agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Look in verse 6. We see two witnesses here, the water and the blood. And in verse 8, we see three witnesses, the spirit, water, and the blood. Now, this is a, somewhat of a difficult text. It's been, if you're looking at it at first glance, a little bit enigmatic. But it seems here what John is doing is he's trying to refute the false teachers. And he's using expressions that were probably familiar to his readers but are not so easily understood by us. So the result is there's difficulty in knowing what's exactly going on here. And, and primarily there's been four interpretations through the years of this passage. I want to mention those to you and kind of we'll narrow in and focus on the one I think is the correct view. Some people think this water and the blood is um, understood to be the sacraments, the ordinances, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Martin Luther held this view. But it's interesting, if you see verse 6, Jesus came by water and blood. The past tense came seem to indicate that Jesus' historical coming, right? Not only is it's, it, that's what it, that's kind of talking about. He came from heaven to earth. Not so much an ongoing spiritual event like in the Lord's Supper. So I don't think that's the correct view. Others link this water and blood with the blood and water that flowed out of Jesus' side. So when you, when you heard, we Chase read that text, water and blood, some of you might have thought about that. Where do I hear water and blood together? Well, that was when Jesus was crucified and the spear pierced his side. Water and blood flowed out. In fact, John also records um, that incident in John chapter 19. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it had borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. And you, you, at first glance, you understand you put those things together, but... John wrote about the water and the blood here in 1 John 5. The water and the blood bears witness to Jesus being the God-man, where in John chapter 19, the blood and water bears witness to Jesus' death. Well, Augustine had this view. And uh, we don't, Jamie, we don't want to um, very often disagree with Augustine. 
but today we're going to just a little bit, okay? Not sure that's quite exactly what this is talking about. And thirdly, uh, others associate the water and blood here with the purification rites and the blood sacrifice of the Old Testament that, that Jesus fulfilled. And it's true. Jesus did fulfill all of those purification rites and all the sacrifice of the Old Testament. Yeah, those things were pointing us to Christ. But John, I think, seems to be pointing to historic facts in order to refute these Gnostic teachers. I think the most likely interpretation is the water refers to Jesus' baptism and the blood refers to his death on the cross. So John here is contradicting these false teachers. If you think about the, the context, these Gnostic teachers, these false teachers in Ephesus, in and around Ephesus, they, they would affirm Jesus' baptism. They would say that Jesus was a man, but at his baptism, that's where the Christ spirit or, or the, the Christ descended on Jesus at his baptism. But then before he was crucified, that Christ spirit departed from him. So Jesus was only the Christ in between his baptism and his crucifixion. Okay? So the false teachers, they couldn't conceive of how a divine Savior could have died on a cross be executed like a criminal. So in their thought, Jesus of Nazareth, the man, became Jesus the Christ at his baptism, but then when he went, upon the, when he went to the cross, that Messiah, divine part of him, had left him. So what is John doing here? He's saying, yes, Jesus was baptized, but he was baptized as the Messiah, but he also went to the cross as the Messiah. In fact, the only time we see the, the, the reference to Jesus' blood in this letter, 1 John, is chapter 1, verse 7. He says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses, cleanses us from all sins. So even there, that blood refers to the cross. Also in verse 6, this verb came. He, he came implied that he came to earth from heaven. What we believe about Jesus is based on historical evidence. We don't have blind faith. No, we trust that Jesus was God's son because of the testimonies and the evidence is given in Scripture. We have the water, we have the blood, and we have the Holy Spirit. So what John is trying to do is anchor the person of Jesus in history. There's eyewitnesses, there's testimonies given about his baptism, about his crucifixion. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Jesus comes to John the Baptist and he wants him to baptize him. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So what is God doing here? He's giving divine testimony. This was a public event, and a lot of people were there. and It could have been easily refuted, but it wasn't. We see the same thing in his crucifixion. Was he just a man who was crucified, just like all the other thousands the Romans crucified in the first century Palestine? I don't think so. Matthew chapter 27, Jesus was on the cross, verse 45, 
Verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And picking up in verse 51, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two as Jesus died on there on the cross. From top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, what did they say? Truly this was the Son of God. So we see it at his crucifixion, there's divine testimony. It was a public event. Some wild and crazy things took place. Those things could have been refuted, but they weren't. And there were thousands of people there, thousands of people in and around Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. Could have been quickly and easily refuted or denied, but no one did. I mean, think about it. It became dark from noon till three in the afternoon. A, a curtain was torn in two miraculously. Dead people rising from the grave, walking among the city. Oh, there's Aunt Ruth. Gracious. She died two years ago. Think about that. Rock splitting open. Yeah, this is a divine testimony, right? There's, this is no mere man being crucified, but Jesus of Nazareth, whom the centurion said was the Son of God. Testimony is given, divine testimony. See, at his death, Jesus didn't cease to be the Messiah. In fact, if he did so, his death would have had no effect for us. No, Jesus of Nazareth was fully man and fully divine who died to be the Savior of the world, to make atonement for sin, Amen. to suffer the wrath for sinners like you and me. So God gives a three, uh, threefold testimony to his son. Secondly, God's testimony is more trustworthy than man's. Look at verse 9 and 10. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is a testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Human witnesses are, are wonderful and they're effective. In fact, in a court of law, the more witnesses you have, uh, the better your case will be. Think about how the Father bears witness to the Son through the Spirit. Here in, in 1 John 5, 6, and also in the, the fourth gospel, the role of the Spirit is to bear, the, bear witness about the truth of Christ. John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That's what's a Spirit. That's what he does, and that's what he did. John chapter 16, verse 13 through 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, who will guide you in all truth, if he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit came, as Jesus said he would, 
And he guided the apostles. And what did the apostles do? They wrote down his truth, the truth about Jesus. So what we have in scriptures are the truth. It's an objective witness to the word of God. You think about it. We, we listen to people all the time. Hey, let me tell you. If you go to the Olympic, get that, um, get the grilled tilapia. Like if you go there for lunch, it's fabulous. Every time I go, that's what I get. You know what some of you are going to do? The next time you go there, you're going to get that grilled fish. Why? Yeah, because I said it was pretty good. Yeah, we listen to people all the time. Knowing, hey, how do we get, if I'm going to this place here, what's the best way to get there? You know who I call? I always call Kevin Boozer. I call Kevin Boozer. I say, Kevin Boozer. I say, Kevin, what's your 20? And he tells me where he is. I say, look, I'm trying to get to so-and-so and so-and-so. Do you know what would be the best place to go? That man drives all over the country for a living. I called him this week. Where are you? Well, I'm in northern Wisconsin. Next thing I know, I talked to him. I'm in Houston, outside Houston, in between Houston and San Antonio. He's driving all over the place, but he knows all these how to get here and there and yonder. And so I ask him, how do you get there? What's the, what's the, we're going to Branson. What's the best way to go? And he'll say, oh, you ought to go this way. I don't look at the GPS. I don't look at an atlas. I, I listen to Kevin. He tells me where to go because that man knows that's where I go. Yeah, testimony. I'm, I'm listening, and I believe him. How does this shirt, I might ask my wife, how does this shirt, does the shirt look all right with these pants? I don't know why wives do this, but they ask husbands, hey, does this blouse match? Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, why do we do that? We're wanting some, you know, for some reason you're trusting your husband. But we do that all the time, don't we? Before making major decisions. Hey, you think I ought to buy this house? Cody's going to... Spend a lot of money and buy a house. Plant some roots in Munford, Tennessee. Man, you think I ought to buy this house? You ask people their opinion about that because you want to know. You believe their words and you listen to their counsel. What about this girl I was thinking about marrying? You, you think she, what do you think? I was thinking about marrying her. What do you think? Before I married Jenny, I talked to my mom and my dad. And I said, what do y'all think? Yeah. We listen to man's testimony and how much more should we believe the testimony of God about his son and God has given a threefold testimony to the world of his this mighty act in history sending the sinless savior the God man who died and was raised from the dead and this water this blood it's external witnesses external testimonies right but there's also an internal witness for those who embrace Christ, we embrace the biblical Christ, the water and the blood. We listen to that testimony. We embrace Christ. We trust Him. There's also a, an inner witness spoken of in the Scriptures. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. A couple weeks ago, we looked at this passage, Matthew 16, very important time in life of the disciples Jesus said to them who do you say that I am he said what are, what are people saying 
What are people saying about it? Who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist. Some say the prophets, Jeremiah. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered for all of them, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He wasn't saying, oh, you're, you were, you're a man who the Spirit of Christ has descended upon but will leave. No, he said, you are the God-man, right? You're the Messiah. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't figure this out on your own, using your own intellect. No. My Father who is in heaven, how does that happen? Through the Spirit of Holy Spirit, right? Romans chapter 8, again, verse 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So there's the spirit bearing witness with our spirit. Yeah, the spirit gives us life. And what does he do? He affirms that Jesus is the God-man. He's the Messiah. Now, we're, we're not saved by works. We're not saved by emotions. We're not saved by feelings. We're not saved by that. I have this subjective feeling about this. I think this is right, or I think that's not right. No, we're not saved by the emotions or feelings. We're not even kept by them. We're saved by grace of God through faith in Christ. When we are discouraged or challenged in our faith, we have this external objective evidence, right? The water and the blood, but we also have this internal witness of God. Lega Duncan, he says, John is making it clear that Jesus, who is the object of faith, the only Jesus who saves, is the Jesus Christ presented to us by revelation of God in Scripture, testified to in his life and by the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. God's not asking us to believe and embrace Jesus of Nazareth apart from evidence. He's given us this evidence. But notice in verse 10, Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself, right? The Holy Spirit bearing witness who Christ is. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Think about this. And this has happened to many of us. Someone maybe you're working with or someone in class you make some statement to them and they might say to you, well, you know, I'm trying to believe you. How would it make you feel? Brian, your boss at work, you tell them about something that happens with a package that it does and they go, well, I'm trying to believe you, Brian. How does that make you feel? You want to wring their neck, don't you? Because what, what are they implying? They're implying that you don't have integrity. Your character is flawed. You might be lying. Kind of aggravates you a little bit. Morgan comes in work and he's a little late, which doesn't happen. And I say, what have you been doing? Oh, you know, da 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 I said, I don't know, Morgan. I don't know about that story. That'd make him mad, wouldn't it? Yeah, rightly so. How much greater cause has God to say, think about it, if... if if that happens to Morgan and I, I say, I don't know about that, buddy. I don't know if you're telling the truth or not. 
Morgan would say, what do you mean? What are you implying, right? Think about God. God say to us when we, he's given us this testimony, this incredible evidence in history through the scriptures, confirmed by witnesses, confirmed by the spirit within us, yet men have the audacity to say to him, oh, I'm trying to believe you. I'm trying to believe you. Oh, that I could convince myself that it is true. You know, we, we say this a lot when we live our lives in rebellion against the Lord, opposing Him. You know, we kind of do this. But when you don't embrace Christ, when you don't trust Christ, when you're not being obedient, repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're doing this to the Father. I don't know if I can believe you or not. Unbelief in Christ is not to take God at His word. John Stott, he says, unbelief is not a misfortune to be pitied, but a, a sin to be deplored. How you living your life? You living your life like this? I don't know if I believe you or not. I hadn't embraced Christ because I don't know if I believe you or not. Many people live their lives like that. And lastly, verse 11 and 12, if you have Jesus, if you embrace Jesus, you, you have life, you embrace life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Pretty straightforward. And John is summarizing the testimony of God about his son. And it's almost as if God steps on the stage as a judge and, and gives the final word, you know, the closing arguments in the case. If you don't believe God's testimony, you don't have life. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. To believe in Jesus is to know what is true, to assent to what is true, to embrace what is true. And as we do that, we have the spirit that bears witness that we are his child. And God has sovereignly given eternal life to all those who receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Eternal life. Not just in thinking about quantity, you know, this is forever and ever and ever, but also quality, right? We have eternal life. We have a life full of purpose and meaning. Even though life is hard and difficult, we have help to be faithful think about John the Baptist when he baptized Christ he says I have seen and borne witness that this is the son of God the centurion at the cross the miraculous things during the crucifixion the father giving a testimony verbal testimony at Christ's baptism all testify that Jesus is the Christ and should be embraced by all by repenting and believing so have you repented and have you believed I was at my parents yesterday we went there and watched the ball game and 
knock on the door. I go to the door, and there's a young man there I knew, and he'd just gotten out of prison, and he wanted to talk. And so we spent some time talking together. He had a heavy heart, filled with guilt and shame, and talking about his family, and he'd been estranged from them, and began to talk about Christ, and he began to ask questions, and it seemed like we were kind of making circles. I kept coming back to the gospel, kept coming back to the gospel, kept coming back to the gospel. Jesus is life, and you have no life, young man. You need to repent and believe so you can start living. My question to you is, have you called savingly on Christ? Jesus, I know that you're the Son of God who came to bear my sin. I realize I am a sinner deserving hell. But I also recognize that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago to pay my sin debt. And I want him to be my Savior. Father, save me. I'm trusting Christ's work on the cross as my own. And I want to live for you for the rest of my days. Father, give me life. I need life. Have you done that? Maybe that's something by way of application. You need to cry out to the Lord. Tell Him something like that. And for us believers, that those of us who've repented and trusted Christ, Galatians 4, 6, because we are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Be encouraged, believer, that Spirit affirming and affirming you as a child of God. Be encouraged that you know Him and that you have eternal life. Isn't it good? Isn't it good to be a Christian? To be saved? Man, it's so good.